love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I am Alyssa Gadeski, and I am here with my co-host, Haley Chura, who is here this week. We weren't sure if you're an avid listener and we're listening last week because, Haley, how does it feel to have received your second vaccination shot from for COVID? Alyssa, I said this before, but I think one of the side effects of the COVID vaccine is actually optimism because that's how <laughs> I feel. I'm feeling optimistic. I'm feeling good. I'm happy to be here. I, I did get my second dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine yesterday, of the day before we recorded, and I was very nervous about side effects that might keep me from recording. You know, I, I've heard different stories from different people, but, and, you know, I was thinking that like 24 to 30 hours after things might be uh, a little rough, but for me, it seemed like everything came very quickly. I, um, I got very lucky. First of all, that I did not have to drive two hours. Like I did for the first dose to get this one. I was able to actually go to a clinic right here in Bozeman. I went to a Ford dealership, which was unique, but you know, it's 2021. We get vaccines in car dealerships now. So just, you know, embrace the opportunity. And I'm actually um, surprised more businesses haven't been like really polling for people. Like, I mean, that seems great, right? It's like free marketing to have people coming through, checking out the cars. Like you can't have that much traffic coming through a lot of stores these days. So like any, yeah, vaccination shoppers that I'm surprised that's not more of a thing. Right. And this pharmacist, I said, thank you for being here. And he was like, oh, thank Bozeman Ford. So thank you, Bozeman Ford, for allowing them to use their space. But he said that he's like, if you want to wait next Friday, we'll be at Bozeman Brewery. And what? <laughs> yeah. So anyone who's in Bozeman, Montana and needs a vaccine, walk in clinic at Bozeman Brewing on Friday. Um, so it's, I know I was like, oh, that's tempting, but I really want to get this shot Just right now. Done, the, yeah. the timing, I'm like, he, I'm like, he's already like sanitizing my arm or like disinfecting my arm. And I'm like, I'm not going to wait now. But um, I see that one, I would be like very tempted to go right from the shot to get a beer, right? Where I wasn't quite as tempted to go right from a shot to buy a car. <laughs> So, you know, <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're a little bit of a planner. I'm sure there's someone out there who was like, just so optimistic after getting that shot that they were like, you know, the world is fine. Let's get that Bronco. Right. So is Bronco a Ford? I didn't even yeah, know that. Right. Ford Bronco. I think so. <laughs> I know a lot and about cars. I think cars. there's like a new one. Actually, I, I like did see something about this. I think recently where there's like a new edition of the Bronco out these days. That reminds me of, uh. A certain <laughs> white Bronco. Yes. OJ Simpson. <laughs> but I guess that is a cool car. I feel like there was someone in my high school who had a Bronco and everyone thought it was she had the coolest car. But um anyway, I so I was very prepared for like side effects the next day. But Alyssa, within like an hour or two hours, I was like feeling it. And I was like, the spike proteins were being made and my immune system was on fire <laughs> and I was down. Haley, do you think that any of this was induced by having sugar also added to the mix of your your little cocktail that you were brewing with the COVID vaccine and 
Well, I saw your reel. So everyone, if you haven't already watched, Haley did a really fun reel on Instagram about a cupcake mile. Yeah. So it was a cupcake mile. Belle Fong, who is, I think, you know, at one time she was a listener. I know <laughs> things have changed, but um, no, she's a great friend, um, a great triathlete. I, I met Belle in person when I was racing in Western Sydney years ago. And she is just, she's a great ambassador for, for Sydney too. She took me on a little tour of the area, but she put on a cupcake mile to raise money for the floods in Australia. So they had some really terrible flooding last month and she wanted to raise money for the people who suffered damages in that. And so you, the idea was similar to like a beer mile where you ate a cupcake, ran a quarter mile. And of course it lands on the day of my COVID shot. I think, oh, this is gonna be fine. It did not go well, Alyssa. First of all, I couldn't even find cupcakes and I just wasn't about to bake them. And I'm so glad I didn't try because I would have like been, you know, asleep by the time they were baked. But so I, I improvised, I got some donuts and <laughs> I took cowboy out. Alyssa, like, the, okay, first of all, this was my first reel. Um, my social media presence is, has multiplied. And I was like, there were things that were left out of that reel. <laughs> like, to be honest, I, um, I should have been disqualified from the, from the, well, I should have been disqualified for not having cupcakes. I could have been disqualified for feeding some of the donuts to cowboy. I did not eat four donuts. I did a 1441 mile, which, um, is is the same time that Beth Potter ran her world record or world best 5k a couple weeks ago. I realized (laughs) I was like, Hey, we went the same time. (laughs) But, um, so, I mean, I kind of left out some of the cheating that might've gone on, but it was for a good cause. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. And I do love that concept. I think that's, you know, that's pretty fun. And I think that Cowboy, I'm sure, appreciated it, even if he didn't really know exactly what was going on. He did not. And like he had to take a bathroom break. We had some GI issues in that one mile. In 14 minutes, a lot can happen. And I was also a little bit nervous about someone else like eating the donuts when they're like sitting out there I put them in a bag and I actually like hung them on a tree (laughs) there's a lot of animals we're like in this like little I didn't go to a track anyway a lot of room for improvement but um you know thanks to Belle for the idea and I I I feel like I could definitely do it and I could definitely do better but I was already like I barely made it out there like I was already feeling bad but I was like I told Belle I would do it I told her I would do it and I was like I'm nauseous to start this is probably not a good idea but Afterwards, um, you know, that mile wore me out. So I took a three hour nap and then Cowboy woke me up and it was time for his dinner. <laughs> then, yeah. So, um, a lot of, yeah, general fatigue and, uh, nausea headache. And I had crazy like chills, Alyssa, like overnight. Oh, I like had the, feeling like, like you were getting the flu. Yeah, no, I was like freezing Ugh. cold. I was like freezing cold. And I like grabbed this other blanket and I'm like trying and I'm like shaking and cowboy is like sleeping on the floor and he's like so concerned. He's like, what is happening? And I'm oh. like, Oh, and I am lucky that one of my really good friends, one of my athletes is a doctor. And she actually texted me. She was like, Haley, take Advil. <laughs> so <laughs> I had some Advil bought nearby and then I did take it and I felt better. I was able to back to sleep. And so for anyone who, you know, is, has their second dose coming up, if you have any of those symptoms, Advil, you know, it made a big difference, but you know, by the morning I was feeling pretty good. And by midday I was able to go swim. So I think, you know, everyone seems to be like hitting the side effects a little bit different. And for me, it was definitely earlier than expected, but shorter than expected. So worth it. Um, again, now my only side effect left is optimism, good vibes, happy feelings, then, you know, incredible urge to like race and train and pack for upcoming races. St. George is just a couple weeks away. And so, 
you know, I'll take those side effects. Yes. Haley, well, I'm super excited for you. I'm glad you've turned the corner on the, on how you're feeling and that you're here with uh, me today because I didn't have too much prepared if you weren't here today. So that's helpful for me. <laughs> um, we do have, you mentioned St. George coming up in just a couple weeks and Haley, we have an exciting thing happening there. So we have from the feisty team, Jamila and Erica are going to be at St. George. And on that Friday, April 30th, they're going to have a meetup for feisty fans, feisty people, feisty athletes, um, who just want to get together and actually see each other in, in real life. So keep an eye on the feisty triathlon social media, because the details for that will be announced exactly like where it is, what time, that kind of thing. Um, April 30th in St. George, Haley, I'm going to have serious FOMO. Yeah, I might be there. I'm just like, okay, so here's this one issue that I just realized is that you have to like now for Ironman, you have to like pick a check-in time. And so I'm going to have to find out what time this feisty meetup is and see if I can swing it because it is a point-to-point race. And so I, I can't, I have to see what time I picked to like check in my bike. And that's like quite a ways away from St. George. Um, so out at Sand Hollow. So if I can swing it, I'd love to see Erica and Jamila and anyone else who shows up. That would be great. But I know pandemic, pandemic racing takes some planning, but I am like going with the flow with this race. You know, I think it's going to be like the joy of racing again. I am hopeful. I have everything. I'm like, okay, I have socks. Okay. I have like <laughs> shoes, right? Do I have the right shoelaces? You know, all of that. Just, it's been a while. Alyssa. I'm like, it's only, I mean, it's two weeks out and I'm already like, oh my goodness, do I have everything? But it'd be fun to chill out with people. So hopefully, hopefully people will check out, but I'll be watching the, I'll be watching the social media as well to see if I can make it by the meetup. That's good. And yes, everyone who does have races now that they're happening a little bit again on the horizon, take notes from Haley and make sure you are getting your act together. This is also like definitely a non-subliminal message to my own athletes that I coach who might be out there listening. (laughs) Start early, 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 early. Two weeks is not too early to start like putting things together and making sure you have everything if you haven't raced yet and like getting things out of the bins that they're in and making sure they're still in good condition. That's super, super important paying attention to what the water temperature is. Do you need a wetsuit? Do you need a swim skin? All of these things, very important to be doing as soon as you can. Right. And I mentioned the speed laces. That wasn't a joke. Like I actually do need to, that's on my to-do list. And I was just scrolling through orca.com, one of our partners, and they actually sell speed laces. They have so many accessories that I had no idea about Alyssa. So even if you're set with a wetsuit and swim skin, um, you know, there might be something for you. I, I think I might be adding those to my cart here right when we get off the phone. <laughs> well, then we'll have to talk about that after you run super speedy in St. George too on those, on the St. George Hills that I hear so much about. Oh, they're great. I, I love that run course. I did it like years ago and it was, it's a fun run course. I'm not sure how I will, I would feel about it in like September, you know, if they have the, when they have the world championships there, because not a lot of shade on that course and September in that part of the country is a little bit different than May, but you know, good luck to those of you who, if that race happens, we'll deal with that when it happens. But, um, you know, exciting to have more racing. And I just also need to, <laughs> Alyssa, I found a, a item that anyone, or maybe you could use. Um, I thought of you when I saw the poncho towel on the Orca oh, yeah. website, again, this would work for if you're racing or 
if you're not. But I didn't even know this existed, but it's like a towel that goes over you as a poncho. And I was I like, mean, this is this brilliant. Would be great. If you don't have a locker room, you can like change under there or you could just wear it home. I feel like that's a great. And great I just find myself in or- situations all the time where I'm doing deck changes or trying to change. And like, I also feel like, yeah, I mean, it would be good to have in your car because you finish a ride. Like if you drove somewhere to go ride or run or something and you don't want to get your you know, car seat all sweaty and gross and muddy and everything else. So then throw on your poncho towel. I really think that might be my my purchase to add to all of, all of the gear that I I know. Orca.com. <laughs> Orca.com. Use that code IRONWOMEN15, 15% off. You can get 15% off wetsuit, swim skin, or a poncho towel if that's what if that's what you need. Don't don't sleep on that accessories page. There's some good stuff hidden in there. And definitely a thank you to Orca because they are part of the reason we have such a great guest for you guys this week. Yeah, that's right. We um we are part well are we're mutual mutual partners with Orca and our guest this week is Bonnie Soy and Bonnie is the author of the book Why We Swim, which I would describe as a total love letter to swimming. So in this book, Bonnie discusses the history of human swimming and the wide variety of reasons why people swim. Bonnie tells us about her own experiences with swimming all around the world and in all different types of water and how swimming can create community in unlikely places. So whether you're someone who races to the pool to be the first person in the water every single morning, or if you're someone who maybe you didn't mind your pool being closed over the past year, we can assure you that Bonnie relates to your experience. And since this is coming out on Earth Day, it felt very appropriate to release this, you know, just this beautiful conversation that is about swimming, about the earth, about all of our connection to that. So we thank Bonnie for, for coming on and telling us about this. And we'll have that conversation for you right after the break. Hey, feisty folks, Jamila here, the feisty team community innovator. In June of 2020, we launched the Feisty Team to help you all stay feisty no matter what the year threw your way. Over the last six months, we've come together as a team to try and make the world a feistier place and connect with other like-minded friends in triathlon and endurance sports. We meet every month and bring in experts that can help us on the path to building feistiness in ourselves and others and create meaningful change in our sport and community. The monthly subscription is only $22 and you'll get monthly feisty huddles and webinars with expert guests, big sponsor discounts, swag and monthly prizes, challenges to stay motivated, a community of feisty like-minded friends. Plus, we are adding new initiatives all the time, like our new book club and virtual workouts. Go to feistyteam.com to join us and become a part of the feistiest team in endurance sports so we can crush 2021 together. That is feistyteam.com. The Iron Women podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021.
Hi, Bonnie. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Haley. Thanks for having me. So we're just going to jump right into asking you about your book, Why We Swim. And in that, you write by something that says, not everyone is a swimmer, but everyone has a swimming story to tell. And so we imagine that in the research of this book, you probably heard quite a few stories from swimmers and non-swimmers alike. So did you find one kind of story to be more revealing for your research of why we swim? That is such a great question. Um, I actually found so much um, so much insight from the people who said, I hate swimming. You know, when, when they would ask me, oh, what are you working on? And I'd say, oh, I think I'm working on a book about swimming. And every single, so where I, I um, the germ of that idea was that when I started to talk to people about the book, you, I would get this either extremely passionate response for or against. Like there was almost no middle ground. Uh, there was always, oh, I love swimming. I, you know, I've loved it since I was a kid. I have such great memories of X, Y, and Z. Or there were, I'm so afraid of it. I hate it. I, um, I've, I, and and when I would start to kind of poke and excavate at that fear, there was always like a signal moment where that happened. Something happened. Um, or that there was some moment of discomfort um, that really, you know, it, it was, there's no other way to explain it other than saying that it was traumatic, you know, and, and that made so much sense to me once I started really um, investigating all of the facets of, of, of swimming life and us humans, um, and really understanding that it's such a, there is this two states of being, swimming and drowning, life and death. Um, above and below the water, you know, breathing, not breathing. Um, and there's a real, um, there's a real intense emotional and intellectual, um, like, there's a lot wrapped up in there is basically what I'm saying. And so in fact, when I would talk to people who, who had um, uh, really powerful stories of almost drowning or recovering from that and then wanting to learn how to swim as a grown-up or wanting to become a better swimmer. Those were such um, powerful moments because they were stories about bravery, you know, about like recovering from something and coming back and becoming stronger. And I find that so compelling. When you talk about swimmers who are people who do not like swimming, I think about not my personal experience, but I swim in college and I do know a lot of collegiate swimmers who were, you know, hang up the cap and goggles, oh, totally. like do not want to swim ever again. And I actually even think about my own journey and like, I, I thought I would be like that when yeah. I was done like with collegiate swimming, I thought I would be done. And then I came back and, but when I asked myself this question, why mm -hmm. do you swim? Mm -hmm. uh, my thought was, competition. You know, mm -hmm. I, I grew up tracking all my best times. I had little paper booklets. I displayed all my ribbons and trophies in my room. Um, as I mentioned, I swam through college and even into my professional triathlon career. My, the root of that was my swimming background. So I pick up your book and I'm reading it and I'm like, there is nothing in here about competition. What is this? Like, yeah, I, the fourth part, right? Yeah, it gets like 150 pages in before we're talking about competition. So you also have a background in, in competitive swimming, right. and maybe you realized that swimming was about more than competition a little earlier in life than I did. So I'm curious about, you know, this idea of the question of, you know, why I swim and how that can evolve throughout your life. 
Like, right. how has that happened with you? You know, because everything you're saying, I completely felt I'm 100% with you up until college, because that's when I started to understand what swimming could be without competition, always animating it, right? Always being the motivation, always like a coach telling you what to do, your teammates, because that was what my swimming life started out as, as well. I mean, absolutely not on the level that you're talking about for yourself, but, but that, um, you know, that was the thing that I chased with swimming. Um, and then, you know, after college or sort of in college, I, 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 I tried out a lot of different sports, of course, all around water. I rode for a while. I played some water polo. And then I just said, okay, you know, collegiate sports is not something that I really even want to do because I understand how time consuming it is. And I, so I wanted to like let college life be something else for me. But that's when swimming kind of came back in as like, I love swimming, but can I learn how to swim just for exercise and pleasure and like, you know, being in the water. And it was weird. Like for a long time, I was always getting in the pool and I couldn't not like feel the anxiety of, of not, you know, having a pace clock or not um, doing a workout or, um, you know, getting a certain amount of yardage in and and all of that stuff was like very much rallying around the back of my brain because it's you're conditioned to do that right when especially when you grow up as a as a young kid swimming on a swim team like that is what swimming is to you it's like the races it's the it's the intensity and the all-consuming you know motivation of like beating the other swimmers um and then you know i started doing triathlons i mean i did a few couple of sprint triathlons uh, after college and I really loved them and kind of feeling out what is it like to bring in other elements of, of different sports into like what I've always understood as like my main exercise or what is it to swim, you know, at the pool on a summer day just because it's nice out, you know, <laughs> I, and, in, and understanding that it's about, oh, it's about like being with friends. It's about, you know, swimming with community. It's about this beautiful day at the beach. It's about, um, you know, just feeling really good in your body um, and being buoyed or like having a crap day and then going and seeking out the water because it makes you feel good body and mind afterwards. And so um, taking up surfing, you know, open water swimming, all kinds of things that are not about getting up on the block, you know, starting gun, you know, that whole thing. Um, and, and sort of that's, it's definitely an evolution. And and now I understand it through having spent all this time researching it for this book that people, all different people do it for all different reasons and it could change over your life. I mean, I think that's a really beautiful thing that the water is always there for you, whatever um, and whenever and however you need it. And there's no right way right is that exactly like or one right way yeah I mean a competition's not bad it's just <laughs> yeah you know like the nice day at the pool like you said just getting in no clock no goal it sounds quite nice I'm gonna have to try that sometime <laughs> you're not convinced I could see it in your face <laughs> <laughs> Haley still has a lot of racing left in her oh, I, I think know. so I yeah we'll <laughs> we'll keep that for now Bonnie, you called the book Why We Swim. You definitely didn't call it You Should Swim, right? <laughs> so your writing has a way about it, though, that I feel like might make even the most reluctant swimmers open up their hearts a bit more to swimming in any capacity like you kind of were just talking about, right? So 
were you kind of hoping secretly that this would also inspire some people to take up more swimming? Um, I, of course, had, you know, part of me wished for that, hoped for that, right? But as a writer also who is trained in lowering expectations <laughs> for any, you know, piece of writing you put out in the world, you just never know how it's going to be re-received, what the climate will be when it when something comes out, especially if it's a book, right? You spend years and years and years writing a book. And when the book comes out, you really have no control over when that is and what the circumstances are. Now, this was the most extreme and beyond my imagination that it would be released. A book about swimming would be released during a pandemic during a time when most people couldn't swim. I mean, that is just absurd. And, you know, this whole year has been completely absurd in so many ways. But um, to your point, I have, of course, the unexpected part is that, um, you know, on the one hand, swimmers, lifelong swimmers, devoted swimmers who missed it so much, you know, like thought about it, thought about why uh, the water is so important to them, had time to really contemplate something that they never had done before. And so I, you know, I have had such wonderful um, uh, pen pal exchanges and, and letters from from those readers and swimmers. And then also, what I didn't expect was that, of course, in the pandemic time, with all the pools shut, that everyone would start open water swimming. And that has been amazing, where people have said, you know, they'll write that had read the book. And got all the gear and learned how to manage like, you know, the lake or the ocean or the bay or whatever near them. And um, that they were reborn from that experience. Like that has been so, so, so rewarding and um, unexpected and beautiful. So absolutely. Like I didn't expect it, could never um, hope to expect it, but it has been like such a nice surprise for sure. That's interesting. I guess, you know, this book probably more than many have inspired people to reach out to you. And, you know, especially in pandemic life, I right. think people are a little bit more introspective at times and, you know, just given everything going on. And if this book was the impetus to them starting open water swimming, you know, I think that's really cool that you have gotten to hear some of those stories. Yeah. Is there any like particular one that stands above the rest that's really stood out for you as, um, you know, a good story someone someone told you came from? reading why we swim. Oh my God, there's so many. I wish I, um, I mean, there's, I think collectively just to know that, you know, reading about um, cold water swimming um, and sort of what it can do for your body and all of the, the changes that happen to you physio physiologically, but also mentally, like psychologically, emotionally cleansing, that it would motivate people to um go and try it like go and oh I think there was one actually there was one interview that I um, did with a sports journalist in in Dublin and he said that he lived in Dublin for like 20 plus years he had never gone swimming in the like there's beautiful beaches there there's like even like he sent me a photo of like this really beautiful beach with like stairs going down the water it's gorgeous and he said I read the first chapter I have lived here for like 23 years. I read the first chapter. I put the book down. I drove to the beach. And I went swimming. And, and to me, okay, so this is great, right? Like it's something that I said in the book, some image I conjured up or some feeling made him recall the fact that why am I not doing this? You know, why this sounds so great. 
let's do it. And so he did it. And, and um, I found that to be a really great compliment. <laughs> That, that is fascinating. I'm also like thinking to the first chapter of the book and I'm like, I don't know if that is one that would inspire me to go swimming because it's a fairly traumatic chat. I mean, the, the very, or at least the first paragraphs as I'm remembering yeah, them because, yeah. well, and I did, I listened to your interview with Rich Roll and I think in that conversation, you two kind of compared the book to swimming's version of Christopher McDougall's Born to Run. And I kind of, that one caught me off guard because I actually thought of it more as um, braiding sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, mm -hmm. just in how it combined mm -hmm. history and science and personal anecdotes. And I found it like incredibly soothing, but as we oh. mentioned earlier, like maybe that is because I haven't really had a traumatic experience. And yeah. I recognize that I, I think the book opens with the story of a drowning or a near drowning. So when you talk about that fear that people have, like, how do you, how do you reconcile the water being a place of, incredible calm for some, but kind of, mm -hmm. I mean, very real danger and fear for others. Right. I mean, it's all about knowledge, right? It's all about, um, and, and that speaks to why swimming is so strange for us as a species is that we have to learn how to swim. We're not born knowing how to do it instinctively the way that most terrestrial mammals are, right? So that I found to be such an interesting, um, just that's where we're starting from. That's the baseline. And so, of course, um, we need water and we're so drawn to it. There's something that's so appealing um, about it for us. And, and, and we know that because we're always like walking along the beach and staring at the ocean and listening to waterfalls and wanting to get, you know, like babies in the bathtub. Like there's so many anecdotal things that you can kind of point to. Um, and yet there's we always we we have to be taught how to do it so the knowledge is passed on we we learn about you know we tell stories to ourselves um you know that's sort of like what distinguishes distinguishes us um as humans is that we're such a species that is a storytelling species we we love to communicate um not just knowledge but meaning in that way right and and swimming lessons you know or stories about swimming or the mythology or all of those great stories about like you know mermaids and selkies and, and whales and, you know, we, are, we, we love that. We, our imaginations are kind of tied with this desire to be immersed in the water. And we, I mean, so many of us have imagined like when we were kids that we were mer people like diving and we could breathe in the water in the, in the pool or the ocean or whatever. And I think that that in and of itself is just so compelling because we kind of know on some level that we're not, we don't quite belong there we have to be really careful because it's always something that can really kill you even if you're the most careful, even if you know the most that, especially when you're swimming in open water in the ocean, that, you know, things can happen that we're not in control of. And I think to know that you, to accept that reality, to accept that um, there's danger always there and then to do your best to navigate it and be okay with that, being okay and putting yourself somewhere where it is dangerous um, for the joy of the thing, for, for what it gives you in return, the risk is worth, the reward is worth that risk. I think that's something that is a really interesting, um, reality about swimming that's different from a lot of other sports you might practice, you know? And Bonnie, on this show, we've talked to even Olympic gold medalist swimmers who confessed a fear of open water swimming, right? And so, and you use the quote, uh -huh. 
knocking on heaven's door to have a chat with the devil. So is your advice for people with a fear of open water to acknowledge that it is real then and embrace it and saying to themselves like the reminder that the reward will be greater than the risk if we're, you know, safe and and doing this. Right. I mean, I say all of these things and everyone who's listening to this should know that I don't do those. I don't swim, you know, to the fair from the Farallons like the way Kim Chambers does. Kim Chambers is the, you know, the the um, world record holding swimmer who who did that swim from the Farallons to San Francisco. You know, she's talking about, um, you know, knocking on heaven's door and 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 having a chat with the devil at the same time. That being out there makes her feel like she's doing that. Like being out there makes her feel more alive because she's she's terrified. But she acknowledges all of that risk because of how the beauty and wonder of being out there listening to the whales singing, you know, um, being, you know, uh, uh, feeling the, the depths of the water underneath her, seeing fish from around, dolphins. Um, and I think that I, I think that to be able to do what these extraordinary open water swimmers do, you have to acknowledge the risk, you have to um, you know, be really knowledgeable, you have to be prepared, you have to have a strength of mind and spirit to be able to do all these things, endure a lot of physical and psychological discomfort. And also, of course, you also have to be a little bit crazy to to do all that, embrace it. And like, you, you sort of do have a little bit of amnesia as well. <laughs> right? But you are also motivated and so, you know, in so many ways by the, you know, competitive aspect or by the just like, I want to know that I was able to do this kind of thing. Um, I do find all of that head stuff really fascinating. Um, but, you know, for like the sort of more every person swimmers who are interested in swimming in open water, I think it is a, a really great practice um, and a regular one. Like if you do it like to, you know, when I walk out to San Francisco Bay and it's like a pretty royally windy day, I know that spot really well. Right. I know the cove. I know that the currents are going, the tides are pulling in or out. I know what the temperature is. I know what to expect. And yet every single time I walk out there, I am recognizing as I'm casing out the joint that like, you know, there's risk there. And then I choose as I step into the water and start swimming, I'm choosing to do it. You know, and um, I feel like that practice of confronting, assessing, um, and then accepting is really useful. And it is useful for me, because I'm actually a pretty risk averse person. Like generally speaking, I'm very risk averse. I'm, you know, I'm, you're not going to be finding me in the casino or doing any of that. Like, you know, I don't know. Even riding a bike um, down like a really steep hill, like up, you know, in the hills around here in Berkeley, like, you know, I see cyclists, you know, up in Marin, like just road traffic is terrifying. Cyclists die all the time, you know, around these blind curves. That terrifies me. I'd like to hear about that from, from you all <laughs> because I don't know how to deal with that. But I see that and that's not something that I want to do. But to be in the ocean, to be in the open water, that's absolutely something that I feel moved to choose to do. So that's an interesting discussion, right? About like, what are the things you choose to really risk yourself for? Yeah, I think it probably is a lot of those same steps that you describe as you're going, you know, down to the bay to swim is probably what some of us are walk through when we're getting on the bike and when we're doing those things and, you know, kind of getting into that mode, I guess. And, you know, mm -hmm. 
when you said, you know, it almost takes a little bit of amnesia too. Like, honestly, that did resonate with me because it's like, you know, in endurance sports, a little bit of what you have to do is let yourself forget before you try it again. Right. And so I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. Um, but we do want to ask you too about the, so we mentioned already that the book does break down the question of why we swim into the five categories. So mm-hmm. those are survival, well-being, community, competition, and flow. And let's talk about a couple of them. So with community, you discuss how the water is the great equalizer across people, no matter your age or size or color, or physical ability, it buoys us all is what you say in the book. And You talk about how when military men and women would take swim lessons, they're stripped down from their uniforms. So you actually can't tell who has rank over one another, which I actually kind of paused when I I listened to the audio version of the book. And so that kind of made me pause as I realized, like, that's exactly is what happened. You know, people would be looking around and not being able to see that rank, which is so like such a a main pillar of the military, right? And so Mm -hmm. you talk to a lot of people in the military with their experiences with swimming and their stories are super, super moving. Were you expecting to hear such emotional accounts of the water from a group that is typically quite stoic? Mm. Um, You know, I do think there is something about the water that encourages this um nakedness right this sort of stripped down quality and and of course it has to do with being bodies in water that are you know more indistinguishable um again stripped away of the the sort of signifiers that you normally especially for people who are in the military they rely on that so much for order and and it dictates how they conduct themselves right in their jobs and life right so it's it's a it's a very specific way of being in the world now when you're in a in the water you're in you know in this particular section of the book in community it's about being in in baghdad um where your life depends on your adherence to order and like us you know the, the rules of and and rank and and following those um uh, those rules that have been put in place for the reason of keeping you safe, right? And um, I think the freedom that's found in the water is such an antidote, antidote to that. Maybe it's a safe safe antidote to it because you are in this circumscribed, you know, in a pool, it's very, it's very regulation, right? In a similar way to the military, except that it's, um, you are free to do what you want in there. You, everyone looks the same in their cap and goggles and, um and everyone's treated the same uh so i do and no one knows who you are you know you're not you're not wearing a uniform that tells that has certain um decals that tell people that you are a sergeant or you're a private or that you're a translator or you're a un peacekeeper or whatever and um i did find that um that people were very you know might might have started out being reticent, but really had so much to say again about their experiences in this particular place on the Baghdad swim team, which is the story in the book, um, about what that meant, that space, that club, that peep, that group of people meant to their daily lives in the context of that very weird place, which is combat, which is a a, a place of war, right? So how do you Again, amnesia, like you're kind of suspending your belief that you will you could die at any second <laughs> by like swimming around the pool for a little while. 
and that's valuable therapy right that's like it's all the coping mechanisms that we have to deal with hard things um yeah i found that really moving it was it was not i didn't know what to expect from that story actually because it was all of these people coming from all walks of life from all around the world from different places coming together to learn how to swim to swim better to you know um, for different reasons um, and it was it was a place where they could be vulnerable like I really loved that and in that same community section you do actually talk about how swimming can break up a community by creating racial divides in access mm-hmm. to swimming pools and beaches and we are recording this just after the anniversary of Bloody Sunday which is the 1965 Selma Alabama March for blo- or for voting rights that resulted in the brutal attacks on John Lewis and others, but you write about another swimming-related and perhaps less well-known Bloody Sunday. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, so during the era of, um, you know, civil rights activism where, um, you know, public spaces were, you know, continually places where, um, you know, a lot of um, activists tried to take up space to try to claim that space. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of those places included pools, but also beaches were places that were segregated by race. And um, there is a, an incident um, like you mentioned called bloody Sunday. This was in Mississippi and it was a beach um, where blacks had gone to, you know, say like this, we have the right of recreation and of leisure too. You know, and there was um, violence um, uh, as uh, as many of these um, d- you know peaceful protests ended with. Um, but these these um, you know the, the the watery places, the pool, the public pools, the public beaches that were segregated um, were places of civil disobedience. Where um, you know that the idea of being able to um, you know, the right of leisure and recreation is something that we kind of don't think about as much um, as other rights. But I found, you know, in researching that history of segregation in this country with pools specifically, there's something, you know, there were resorts that were like all black, you know, because they weren't, because black people weren't allowed into white resorts, you know, like vacation places that, that, that were, um, you know, segregated pretty um, strictly. And um, so the fact that there had to be, um, you know, you had to kind of exert your right to live your life, like, and experience joy and pleasure. um, There's something about that reading about those, um, those stories and those events and those episodes of just like, everyday things that we many of us take for granted were not permitted to swaths, huge swaths of society in this country for so long. And that continues, obviously, um, and not so obviously. Um, But I found, um, you know, reading these stories to be really moving because, you know, who thinks about like, you know, can we are we allowed to walk down to the beach and like go in on a hot day? You know, are we allowed to go to the pool down the street and not be turned away because of like, you know, of, of, because we're um, immigrants or women or black or Chinese or Latina, you know, like it's, 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 it's a lot of these questions that persist and a lot of these issues that persist. But I, 
I, I found that the, the long history and being able to trace them back so far, like we've been contemplating these questions for so long and it's heartbreaking to think that the, um, you know, the, the legacy of those, um, those realities still remain, you know, certainly with, with access to pools and access to swimming education. And, um, yeah, I mean, in the pandemic things are, you know, all of these racial inequities have been so severely highlighted, um, you know, when it comes to access to everything from like, you know, the, the pool to a vaccine. Right. And you talk about how we have these racial gaps in access and ability that still exists today. And do you have any ideas on how to close that gap? I mean, is it mm-hmm. really like showing the representation of people of color in sports like swimming? Is that what we do? Oh, for sure. I mean, so like that's one aspect, right? That's a really key aspect with, um, you know, having stories of uh, black swimmers amplified in a way that is like, this is a role model. This is, um, but this is also normal. Like this is, you know, that there are people who look like you to inspire the kids who like want to swim and be, you know, competitive swimmers. Um, It means a lot to have, to, to know that there are people doing who look, doing what you want to do, who look like you already like that. I cannot underscore that enough, like, you know, as a kid growing up, like to be able to see that. Um, And also, um, but in a more like um, infrastructure institutional way, you know, because 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 this institutionalized racism persists, like to have um, swimming education be something that is part of public school education in this country, I think would go a huge way towards um, you know, writing some of the um, lasting inequalities in swimming and in swimming populations in America. I understand that is would be a huge undertaking, but like other countries do it, you know, like there are, you know, it's, it's mandatory in Japan, it's mandatory in Iceland, you know, and, and I know, like, these are smaller countries, but it's, a step forward, you know, to be able to do that. And, and again, like, if you look around the country where pools are like it, you know, it's, it is a legacy of race. It is a legacy of, you know, where backyard pools, public pools, community pools were um, closed down. Um, you know, once people kind of started turning inward to their backyards and were able to build those pools, those community pools fall into um, disrepair. And so it's not accessible to the wider public you know the um you know people who can't afford to build a backyard pool so i there's a lot to address but i do think that like kind of um moving moving towards having swimming education be something that's part of you know public school education could be something because there are places where that's done and i I think that would be really amazing to kind of learn from from how that could be done here Bonnie, we're going to circle back to the well-being section because we've touched on cold water and how you talk about that a bit in the book. And I'm sure our listeners are waiting with bated breath because cold water is such a topic for triathletes, right? And people love to talk about how to swim in cold water and how much they love to avoid it and how cold is the water? What's the water temp? It's like an obsession in the days before the race, right? So Um, you know, and when you tell your story, uh, it seems like you almost didn't have too much of an issue. And maybe that was because you were surrounded by all these people who, you know, your first time swimming in the Bay without a wetsuit were just kind of already doing it. So you 
fucking right. courage. And there were 80 yeah. year olds doing it. And I'm just like, how can I not be doing this? This is absurd. Uh, but you know, <laughs> with your time swimming in cold, open water, have you developed a strategy or any tips or anything like that that you would want to share with our listeners that people out there can try? For sure. I mean, um, I think number one, getting a buddy to do it with, right? So this could be someone who's been doing it. And I think that does someone you trust who I think that does wonders for kind of um, alleviating your anxiety about, you know, knowing the right things to do, knowing what signs to look for being safe. I think that is a huge, huge, huge. I mean, I happen to do my first wetsuitless swim with Kim Chambers, who is, you know, a world record holder, you know, open water swimmer, but um, you could do it with, you know, any open water swimmer who happens to be a buddy of yours um, and loves to, um, and I guess just knows the place, knows the spot, knows um, where the, again, the hazards could be. And then also just to swim really, you know, to swim with someone, um, you, you know, there's gear, there's, but you really don't need that much gear. Like if you are willing to, um, you know, again, to swim in the water without a wetsuit, like that's, uh, you really don't need anything except your cap and goggles and your swimsuit. Um, I think going slowly is huge, really, like, I mean, it could be like five minutes, your first time, just to see how it feels, just to like, recognize what is happening to your body, your breathing is huge. Um, You know, don't start hyperventilating, because that's sort of where you get into trouble. Um, And then just understanding, like, you know, afterwards, when you get out that you just really have to um, make sure that you can warm up because your body temperature will continue to drop even after you get out of the water. And so just to be mindful of that and, and early signs of hypersomnia and, and um, having a plan in place to warm up. Um, and I, I really do think like what people don't um, understand or, or know, a lot of people don't understand or know on a, on a, um, you know, a basic level is that we can really adapt ourselves um, to the exposure and to tolerate the cold water really well. Like, you know, the first time you do it, you will feel like it's absolutely impossible to swim any longer, absolutely impossible to like really swim any distance. And the second time you go in, you'll think, oh, you know, that feels pretty good. Like that feels fine. I'm not cold. I'm not shivering when I get out. And you really acclimate we're pretty, we're pretty amazingly adaptable as humans to um, the cold water. Um, but it is, it is a process. I'm not saying it's always enjoyable, <laughs> but that, you know, the sort of the more time you put into it. And again, just like slowly, it is, it is, a, it is, it will be like days, weeks, months. And then you realize that you're swimming, you know, 20, 30 minutes in temperatures you never would have thought you'd be able to tolerate and that's pretty cool like and and there's just a lot of um, great research that shows that that's pretty good for you um you know on a, a sort of um like cardiovascular level uh dopamine level metabolism level it's pretty awesome and speaking of that research even for us who are a little more pool bound these days <laughs> There's a constant battle in my own pool between the water aerobic swimmers and the lap swimmers oh on the gosh, ideal yes. pool temperature. Pool, right? right? It's too yes. Hot. It's too hot. 
<laughs> right. And so I found it so validating to read in your book that swimming in relatively cold pools, so 80 degrees or less, it does not have to be 57, but 80 right. degrees or less was more effective at reducing blood pressure and arthritis than either walking or walking or cycling. So how do we get this information more widely distributed? <laughs> so we aren't all swimming in 84 degree water. If you can tell what, what team I'm on, like how do I tell, how do I convince some of these people at the pool that the cooler temps are good for them. Haley, just order a stack of 10 books and like leave them in people's swim bags. Like, that is, no, maybe that is easy to do. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say it. Alyssa said it, but I'm, I'm supporting, you know? Um, yeah, I know it, it is. It is. Well, cause I think that people, um, you know, it's not, it's nice to ease into the warm pool, you know, like where it's not a shock. Um, but then when you do start really, exercise and getting your heart rate up I mean I I feel so flushed you know if the pool is too hot and I I think it just develop it depends on again like your level of um activity and also what you're comfortable with but I would say also there's plenty of you know it's it's not an age thing it's not a body type thing it's like an it, it's like really what you're used to I mean you'll go out and you'll see um you know, I mean, at the pool, so you'll have like the swimmers who are like, I really want it to be warmer, it's comfortable. And then, and, and then you'll go out to the bay and it's bodies and of every age and size are just in there swimming around, they're chatting, they're treading water and chatting, no wetsuit. It's, you know, 52 degrees <laughs> and they look like it's summer, you know, like at the French Riviera or whatever. Um, but that it's, um, it really is about, uh, I think, what you get comfortable with. But of course, I I think that, you know, there's such a, a matter of pride of like getting out there and feeling comfortable and just like, look at me, it doesn't bother me. And I don't know if you can inspire the, the people on your team to be like tougher, you know, look at me. Oh, I try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm team cold water all the way. Bonnie, your book also really highlights a lot of women. You include stories that range from swimming to Antarctica, cold water legend Lynn Cox, to Olympic and world record superstar Katie Ledecky, to ultra swimmer Kim Chambers. It isn't entirely uncommon for a woman to post the fastest swim, sp swim split, even in an elite level triathlon. So why do you think women are really excelling at swimming? Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of debate about this, right? So um, I think with uh, female athletes and particularly female endurance athletes, uh, once the once the time or length of the race gets beyond a certain point, it does seem like the um, just sort of brute brute muscle mass of of you know, male participants, like that advantage falls away, right? So it's like not about like these fast twitch muscles um, that just like body wise, um, men have more like more of a, a muscle to fat ratio, right? So I think once you go beyond a certain distance, I think this is sort of like the, what this, many of the studies are showing is that across sports that, um, you know, women kind of like the with the pain tolerance, endurance, um, being able to go longer, um, that that like shakes out so that the advantages over time are like kind of seem to be leaning towards women and also women who are older. Like, you know, you see with these races, um, you know, women like 35, 40, 50, like an up, like in sw and, and swimming, uh, um, I think it's even more pronounced with like endurance swimming that you don't have to be 
super young, um, super muscular. Uh, I think also like it's a, it's like a balancing and efficiency in water. It becomes more about efficiency. So like, for example, Lynn Cox, right. Being this um, just incredible uh, long distance swimmer and cold water, right. Antarctica, she has swum at Bering Strait that um, her body composition, she's talked about how her fat is, I think slightly, um, it's slightly higher than the average for women. And also it's distributed really evenly over her body. Like, so she's, you know, she's so extraordinary that they've done a lot of physiological studies of, on her. And so in salt water, she has like a, a perfect neutral buoyancy to swim, you know, really efficiently over long distance. She's not expending a ton of energy um, to, so she can conserve it to like go longer, go further, you know? Um, so I find that super interesting, but also like with her, she has an interesting metabolism where she's like, she's really generating like a lot of heat. So again, like so many interesting things. It may not be that it's like um, all women, but it's specific to her, right? She has like just a really um, interesting physiology, but like that studying her, scientists have been able to discern um, a lot of, um, you know, interesting and useful information about like, um, you know, operating, you know, cooling the body down to operate during surgeries, you know, to how, how blood flow, uh, you know, changes across from extremities from the core. So she's a really interesting case study in all of the sort of examining like what it is um, that makes, that might make a woman more or less, um, you know, like, or, or, or better equipped to, to be doing all of these, you know, be doing swimming, but not also only swimming, but like endurance um, sports. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, I think it's all like still an open question, but like the early, you know, the things that have been found in research um, are really interesting. And the final section of your book is called flow. And you actually like differentiate between being in the state of flow or being in the zone. Uh -huh. And so I was trying to think of examples um, from my own life. And that I thought maybe I just ask you, can you give yeah. us an example of each of flow and in the zone that maybe you've experienced either in swimming or in writing that? So we oh, can that's a great question. Um, well, so I tried to break this down, like the way that psychologists explain the zone, right? So like you're, 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 you are, it's when time, you know, seems to go by really slowly because you're like, um, you know, in the moment, like imagine like, you know, you're shooting like free throws and like, you know, just doing it and you're just, um, or in the moment in the game where like you see it all before you and you know what to do. And it's all, because you're concentrating so hard like it seems like the moment like balloons, right? Like there's just so much time in there for you to see everything, like the details of what's happening, your players coming in, you're going to do the pass, you're going to you know, do this play. And, um, and it's like the concentration is such that you're so, um, you know, it's like performance oriented moment, like everything falls away, but you're in there. And with flow, it's like less of time expands, time doesn't really like seem to be part of it like you're you're in flow you're like playing an instrument you're swimming and it's just you are kind of moving along um you don't notice time passing you know you don't it's 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 a subtle difference the way that psychologists have understood it and defined these things but for me like so i took these two distinctive states of being um as a, a jumping off point to talk about like 
what if you're in the flow you know what if you're swimming and you're in this flow state where like everything else falls away nothing seems to matter you're just sort of like at one with the motion of swimming and then where does your brain go it's like not focused on the thing the way you are when you're in the zone it's not you're not focused on the play you're not focused on the race you know um you're just kind of drifting like you're kind of it's a place for imaginative and creative thinking like it's different it's more expansive it's um again like a timeless quality where like all things are kind of possible <laughs> i mean that's sort of like how i understand it um and so i find the flow state you know again to be something that's sort of outside of time but also like it is a rest and a respite for like our busy brains in everyday life right you go for a swim and when i get in the pool or i get in the bay or i go for a surf like i am like chattering like stuff is going on and then when i'm in this flow state of like just doing something like you know you know going for a wave or you know swimming and 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 having swum past like the period of time where i my now my brain has settled down and i'm just noticing things i'm just kind of like in the water looking at the light or thinking about um, maybe I'm thinking about a piece of writing that I'm working on and making the connections that I wouldn't have thought to make before just because I'm encouraged by this like free form state of being. And I think that water really encourages that. Bonnie, the irony of one of your quotes saying that um, in the water, your wake disappears and you leave nothing behind kind of that with the juxtaposition of you being a writer where you are constantly <laughs> leaving us like these precious gifts behind and we thank you for that. So um, I thought that was, you know, I don't know if you stopped to kind of think about that, but I thought that was kind of a clever way to have your love of swimming and still be leaving something behind for all of us to enjoy through your swimming as well. Um, thank you. And we do want to let our listeners know that the paperback version of Why We Swim comes out on April 15th. And we think that you have a children's book coming out in May. So what is the best way for us yeah. to get your books and follow along with your swimming adventures? Uh, just find me at bonnietoy.com. Uh, it's B-O-N-N-I-E-T-S-U-I.com. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Um, and yeah, swimming, uh, swimming book comes out in paperback in April. And then um, my first children's book, Sarah and the Big Wave, uh, comes out in May and it's about the first woman to surf Mavericks and I'm really excited about it. It's such a beautiful book. That's so great. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. I'm I'm like going to like search out this moment of flow in my upcoming swims, especially the easy ones. I am a big fan of easy swims. I love warm up and I feel like that might be a good time to to work on this. So thank you so much. You've inspired me. Thank you. After decades of swimming, there's always more to learn, but well, we can't wait to see what's next from you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com/ironwomen and get started. And just a reminder, 
Bonnie's book, Why We Swim, is out in paperback now. I actually saw it at my local bookstore, which is always fun. I love seeing people when we've had, you know, authors on the podcast and then I get to see their book out in the wild. It kind of makes me a little giddy, Alyssa. I know that's super cool. And everyone can go out and grab that from your local bookstore. And also, Haley, I did look up Sarah and the Big Wave, which is Bonnie's children book. She her first children's book that she wrote, which is coming out to be released on May 11th. So you guys can mark your calendars for that, too. Um, I'm excited to get a copy of that en route to my favorite young swimmer, Madison Biscay. She's Aww. my godchild. If if anyone's not confused about who that is, you can go back and listen to some previous episodes. <laughs> Madison is lucky to have you as an auntie and able to, uh, or godmother. You're like the, the fairy godmother that gives her like great books. But I loved, I'm just excited to go swimming now. I mean, I feel like I, I'm ready to like hop in the pool and just feel, you know, all the feels of the specialness of being underwater. So cool to like get that perspective, even though I've been doing it my whole life. There's a lot, a lot we can learn from in the water. And Alyssa, I just realized I forgot to mention in our intro that if anyone wants to write into our mailbag, it is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We love your questions. And as race season heats up, if you have any questions race specific or not race specific, we're happy to answer them. So ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. All right, Haley, I'm so excited that you are starting the countdown till we can say we are both going to be fully vaccinated. It's just a few more days left of waiting for that to happen. But congratulations on the second vaccine shot. Um, I'm excited that you are optimistic. I'm excited you're racing soon. And but we have one more week to chat next week before we we before we get to you racing. Yeah, not getting ahead of things. I got I, <laughs> I will admit last night when I was uh, feeling a little a little under the weather, I was like, oh, the race feels too soon. But now I'm feeling great and I'm like fire up ready to go so in a, in another week so have a great <laughs> week Alyssa I will talk to you soon bye Haley you have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.